Hi, my name is Kyle Weeks, host of We Don't Know Shit. And together with my co-hosts, Reed Qualls and River Weeks, we make it our mission to sift through the mountain of news and bring you the nuggets of worthwhile stories you deserve to hear. Just listen to a sample of what we've done thus far. Bootleg booze. Documented ejaculation. Taco hole surprise. Don't drink more beer. Fascinating. See, here at WDKS, we believe that some stories don't need to be told, so we don't tell them. Instead, we focus on the most outrageous examples of news that actually made it to print. So pop open your podcast player, type in those four little letters, WDKS, and hit subscribe because trust us, you aren't going to want to miss WDKS. Ooh, threw up in my mouth. Speak up into your microphones. I just threw up into my mouth. That's gross. What the fuck? It happens a lot. I don't know why. It happened to me on St. Patrick's Day and it really fucked Hello. my throat. So badly. You what? She got fucked in the throat. <laughs> because I threw up in my mouth and then like swallowed it. And then, and then, and then my, fu- my throat, throat was fucked up. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> You know, you can't help you. Gonorrhea anyway. is a strange disease. This is Danielle. And this is Daniel. And this is Carla. And we are Hoosier Homicide, a true crime podcast by Hoosiers for Hoosiers or for anyone that doesn't know what a Hoosier is. Welcome. Hello. Welcome to my back. <laughs> Welcome to my back. What is that? <laughs> I think it was from when you were at Disney. <laughs> <laughs> and who was it? Neil Patrick Harris. That's yeah. Right. Told some joke up there on stage. He said, Welcome to my back. It's okay, you know. It's okay. I don't really remember what happened. So he was like, it was like their second performance of the night. So the people who were standing behind him, yes, was he like, said, "Welcome to my, my back. back." Oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, I don't know why I remember. There's that. hand motions involved. Yes. How are you? I'm good. Did you get charged for that second drink? I don't think she. I really feel like she didn't charge me for anything. Cause she felt bad for you. No, like I went. I wanted Ms. to watch Cousy. the games. And I don't have cable, so I met up with my friend CJ. Soon to be roommate. Soon to be roommate. I gave him the keys. And then we went to the dugout, which is like a dive bar. It doesn't sound like it. It is. It is. (laughs) Trust me. And I'm cutting back on beer because I have a beer belly. So I just ordered vodka soda. Oh, good. You did the responsible thing and switched to vodka. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had a couple of vodka sodas and... She kept not giving me a straw, so I just reached over the bar and got a straw, and at the same time, I took the whole entire full beverage down with just my boob. Titty drink. spilled it all over me and broke the glass. I was going to say, was it full on shatter mode? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so she decided to put the glass inside a pitcher, so I couldn't do that next time. Mm, So it would stand out. Yeah, and I wouldn't hit it. It wouldn't be as easy to knock over. You know, those... To your defense, those glasses are like boob size. They are boob size. 
So I wish it was not the first time I've knocked something over. <laughs> which is just boob. my boob. Is it always the same boob? Because then you could like be mad at one boob over the other. I, you know, there's really... <laughs> the, there's you put them really, tight enough together, they become one boob. <laughs> yeah. So there's really like no... I don't discriminate between the two. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. I see, I see. So, but it's funny because right. when that happened, the bartender turned and looked at my friend Alec and was like, what did you do? Like, not me, it was her tip. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happened. And oh. then Paul and Lisa met me there. Oh, okay. So then I had to tell them the story. Mm-hmm. Because they were like, why is your cup in that picture? Well, funny I can perfectly picture them laughing <laughs> as you're telling them this story. They did find it funny. I can hear Lisa mm-hmm. laughing. Yes. So, and then all my friends left and they were like, didn't, they were like, we're leaving. And I was like, I'm with my aunt and uncle. Bye. I'm fine. <laughs> you know, it's just a daily struggle. Along with that. Yeah. Getting fucked in the throat. Is that what we were saying? Mm-mm. 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 That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> oh my. So yeah, that's that was the highlight of my weekend. Cause just the other parts I just slept. Slept, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have weekends. It's just a big blur. Right? It's a big blur. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I've had one long continuous week now for two weeks on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Like I have not stopped working. Like right now, Just quit working. I'm working. He's working. I'm about to put him to work. Yeah, but I can I can do this and listen. It's okay. Okay. Well, you gave him reading parts. It's a male voice. Oh yeah. I can be a man. You don't have to read ahead yet. If you want to, you can. But it's funnier if you don't. Well, I'll read ahead from here then. No, you can see that far. Winnipego City <laughs> paper layer from. She's high. An animal. <laughs> You're kind of close. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'll set up my connection, though. Titties. Mm, no. No. Vodka titties. No. No, I'm going to set it up. Vodka vaginas. I'm setting the dice up to fall. Okay. Dominoes. Is it dominoes or called dice? Are dominoes. you Are you okay? No. I was, you know, we had that tree fall. What tree? When? In Where? The, and took the whole fucking fence down with you it. You should tell people. Is it last year, wasn't it? We did. We talked about this. Yeah, we did. We talked. You were there on the podcast. I could find it and okay, prove well, it. Well, I've had many a slumber since then. But yeah, it's the sleeping that's caused the memory loss. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a lot of limbs that have been downed. So I was like, I'm gonna build me a fire pit, and I had to move all the bricks from one side of the house to the other. So there's arson. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So I said it, but I took Daniel. I was like, come, come to the side of the house. Come look. Come look at what we did. And he's like. Man, we need to get these like, limbs trimmed down. I was like, do you see what we did? And he was like, mm. it's like there's a new fire pit in the yard. We're standing <laughs> yeah, like I five totally feet from it. it. If she hadn't pointed it out, I m- probably would have made it outside, looked around, and come back inside <laughs> and not notice it. And probably would have continued to go until there was a fire in it. And I freaked out and ran outside with the fire extinguisher going. No, you have a fire extinguisher. We have two. I don't, they That's expire, good. though. So I don't know. Not for like 10 years. Okay. Oh, it's like a passport. Lasts a long it's like time. a passport. <laughs> when you get your passport, also get your fire extinguisher. At the same time. So then you don't have know. to take care of it in the same year. Well, no. You get a fire extinguisher if Danielle lives with you. And oh, you yeah. ever let her cook. Listen, it was minimal damage. <laughs> and mom covered it up when we put that floor down. Yep. Mm-hmm. We didn't need that pan anyways. We got lots of pans. That's right. And it turns out that it was a Paula Deen pan. And, you know. <laughs> Come on. Speaking of Paula Deen, let's talk about that tweet. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, 
doesn't doesn't carry the same no the same weight no no it just reminded me um her first tweet might have got she might have deleted it so this woman tagged us in something you know in the in the breath of complaining and she's like listening to four dash four why i was like four out of four stars like what are we talking about so it took me a minute to figure that out. So it's got to be the date, right? Mm. So the, an episode that came out. Well, we've been doing this for a little while, believe it or not. So April 4th of last year, or an episode actually came out on April 4th this year, too. So I was like, which episode? But so first she's complaining that I don't like the 20 minutes of banter in a 30 minute episode. Well, none of our episodes are 30 minutes. <laughs> They're just not. Is that like having a 10 gallons of shit in a five gallon bucket? Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 So she didn't like that, which a lot of people don't like the banter. But, but you tell them when to skip ahead. I know. and there's But there's a lot of podcasts that do, I would say 50% of podcasts banter at the beginning. Uh, My Favorite Murder, Wine and Crime. Um, We're not the fucking History Channel. No. <sighs> Everything like I a, say is 100% accurate. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and that's why we drink. They travel. Aliens. Okay, all three of those podcasts I just listened to travel and do live performances and their regular shows have meaningless banter at the beginning and that's why we drink stop to talk to their dog throughout the episode oh we should do that yeah yeah ours is just no, make too much noise yeah. we can't thought about it well there is one episode i stopped to talk to him because he's on the back patio and he's barking and i was like shush this part's important shush. <laughs> so you know like there's just so much variety in the podcast world and there's like the market has been saturated with whatever type of body fluid you can imagine so go find another podcast please but odds are they're going to talk in the beginning urine urine would be Mm -hmm. (laughs) last week it was semen and plasma oh yeah urine and dead horses and no no elephants elephants dead elephants i found it four out of four was my first episode we'll try one more but not into the 20 minutes of banter in a 30 minute show it's not a show. I didn't put on a performance. I'm speaking into a microphone. I'm putting on a performance. I'm much different in real life. All the world's a stage. There yes. you go. And we are merely its players. Something like Shakespeare, that. Shakespeare, yeah. At Shakespeare. Tag him. Well, she deleted that post for whatever reason. I guess really? it was too complimentary. That one she did. This one. Listening to four out of four, Noblesville episode. There is no Noblesville episode. So that's why I was really confused. The episode... If she's talking about this year's April 4th episode, it was in Fowler and Fort Wayne, neither of which are near Noblesville, correct? Mm-hmm. Isn't, uh, wait a second, isn't her Baumeister technically Noblesville? No. It's Westfield. 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 Oh. And that's not four, it's the date, like. Are you sure it's not the fourth episode? Four out of four would be the fourth episode. Four oh, dash yeah. four. See, that's what I was like. Did we release one on April 4th? Yeah. Both 2019 and 2018. So the 2018 one is the Louisville Love Triangle because <laughs> it has. Well, that's a good one. That was a good one. I know. And it's Mr. Teal, I think. Yeah, Mr. Teal and the Louisville Love Triangle. That's the guy from Eli Lilly that is mistress of like 20 years shot him. And so here's her complaint about that, which if it's that episode, that's the only one I can think. And so it's the Noblesville episode. One of the ladies keeps doing accents. Stop especially the one that comes across as racially insensitive. That's Carla. Well, I, I don't, think, don't think so. I think it was me doing a Canadian accent. That's all. If, it, I if don't that's think... it, and as I pointed out before, ca- Canadian isn't a race. Um, 
it's, it's a, a cult- country. It's a country and your culture. And so I would be culturally insensitive. Yes. But that means I have to get offended every time someone does a bad American accent. Does I don't know. It's can Canada Canadian is not a race. Mm-mm. They're you know a diverse country, and I'm sure they identify it as other things and not just Canadian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eh? Yeah. yeah, and see, and then what's this all about? <laughs> and to, for fuck, she's only listened to one episode. For all she knows, we could be from Canada. And That's true. So I was like, so don't put me in a box. Yeah. If she's talking about this I episode, have friends from Canada. Yeah, yeah. And I make fun of them to their faces from being from Canada. They know. And they make fun of me for being a fat American. Yeah, there it's you go. it's very mutual. The, if she's talking about the episode from this year, maybe we used a hillbilly accent. That's also still not a race. No, uh, see, yes, it is. Or it could maybe white trash sounding, but I don't remember putting much effort into that. So I it might not have been a big deal. I am white trash. I know. So and in I trouble. can talk yeah. about I'm my people, and I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so I just don't understand what we did. I can't figure out the Noblesville episode, and I can't figure out what part was racist. So. I got called a racist on Twitter. All three of us did. Oh, she called you racially no, insensitive. No, she said you. She was talking about you. Well, yeah, she said ladies, she I guess. She ladies, yeah. Say I'm Marianne. perfectly fine. She can't listen long enough to tell Carla and I apart. Right. Yep. Ew. Ooh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Maybe um, she's just a fan and this was her only way to get you to mention her name on the, the I didn't. Th- okay, that was the other point. Is like We get a lot of bad, re- bad reviews on iTunes. We do. But you have a certain anonymity with iTunes reviews. Your username could be Big Titty Ho. So we don't know who Big Titty Ho is. They just leave us a five star or one star. Did they... Big Titty Ho really leave us a five star review? <laughs> Big Titty Ho is Carla's name. It's what my phone used to call me. It's what her phone used to phone. call me. But I changed it, everyone. I changed you, you it. You corrected it? Yes. I did respond to just thank you for the feedback. I hope you find something that suits you better. Because I'm not going to get in a Twitter argument with an old woman. Because, but the, do you know what Kelly was? No. Is that her name? Yeah, that's what I don't understand is that you're, you're tagging me. I can say it. She tagged me in Twitter. She tagged me in the Twitter. In the Twitters. I can buzz it if I need to. But my point is, she's got her full and first and last name on Twitter and is like complaining at podcasts who have a social media platform much larger than her 100 followers. It's like, so what What do you plan to gain from this? She just wanted to tell us what was up. So now we're racist. <laughs> yeah. She's a social justice warrior, I think, and needed to put us in our place. And now we've been put in our place and our fun accents have I'm to I'm here go. to put you in your place, ma'am, because nothing these days is racially insensitive. That's an outdated term. You're being racist. Yeah, it either so is So if you're going to call isn't. us racist, just freaking do it. Mm-hmm. So if she listens now, what is it? A glutton for punishment. Mm-hmm. You said you didn't like us, so quit listening. Go away. There you go. Boom. Go away. Maybe uh, boom, she's bing. really trying to help us out, and here's your golden opportunity to get help, and you're just ignoring it, Danielle. Yeah, don't be rude. I don't know. I just, just feel kidding. like if I hear or see something that's just like, you know what? This doesn't really matter. I don't need to put my nose in this, but, you know. It's a weird thing. Maybe she's feeling like you, Carla, want to put her tit in the drink. I'm going to come on in here and put my tits in the drink. <laughs> Get all up in your business. I don't exactly understand. Like we we said, didn't even have, we only had an episode from April trash. 5th. It's not even 4th? No. Okay, I still don't, I looked and I was I'm like. I'm thinking 4 of 4. 4 of 4, that, that, that's this year then. Her Baumeister, that's the Noblesville episode then. Oh man, you're right, Daniel. Yes. It wasn't. Ah, it's playing. Ah, it's us. <laughs> it's, 
what? So she didn't like us talking about gay people. Oh, that's what it is. Oh. That's um, still not a race. Being homosexual is a race, yes. Yes. Correct. I don't know what accent. We probably did use it. I don't know, man. But it, that that just makes me an ignorant hillbilly. Yeah. You can't be mad at It me makes for that. you homophobic. Yeah. So yeah. she's homophobic. Oh. oh. There's classes you can take to fix that now. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my point being, though, she's just she just wanted to complain. If you're coming at us with the banter first. And besides, there's podcasts that talk at the beginning. There's podcasts that do like alcohol reviews at the beginning. Now, me not being someone who drinks, I might just skip through that. Vodka soda is good for the booby. <laughs> but I'm not going to write up this podcast. The podcast, the promo we're playing, we don't know shit. They're in Indiana as well. Oh. And that's the promo that I'm going to play. They do. Yes, we do. I, who is shit? What? What? You know who shit is? No. Shit's okay. Creek. Shit's Creek. Mayor shit. <laughs> so they do alcohol beverage reviews. That's their podcast. That's their style. I don't really drink, so I might skip through that. I might not. I have the privilege of doing so. Do I need to write them up and be like, I don't drink. You need to get past the drinking part. Yeah, you probably should. Yeah, I'm not. The customer's always right. <laughs> The customer can eat a bag. Okay, of dicks. get to the fire. Okay, that's all we got. The connection is the fireplace, fire pit. What fire pit? The, exactly. <laughs> Daniel has speaking parts. Everyone, be very nice to Daniel. Applause, applause, applause. We talked about butt paste in that one. Butt paste. That's that's our daughter. Butt cream, butt paste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she. Yeah. Hey, that's what. Oh, come on. That was an hour our, and 25 minute episode. Yeah, I was going to say. And that <laughs> episode is one of our beginning ones. Like, back up off me. She didn't even get to the part with the dead raccoon. No. The dead raccoon? Raccoon. We honored the dead raccoon. I put audio clips in even that far in the beginning. Maybe she's one of those people that, that I identify as, like, they do the pony play. Like, she likes, she'd like <laughs> to dress up like a raccoon and, <laughs> like, go through her garbage and stuff. <laughs> Maybe that's what the problem is. I saw some down our street getting into the drainage. The best part is by the end of the year, I think it's the beginning of the year. I can't remember what time of year it is, but they get so fat. It's it's before. (laughs) No, they're getting fat for the winter. That's what it is. They get so fat right before winter, Mm -hmm. and you'll come around the corner, and they're trying to get into the storm drain. And I've come around the corner before, and it got stuck, and all I saw was these little legs kicking, (laughs) trying to push its way through. Well, and then right after we did that episode, there was one showed up on our porch to take a nap and wouldn't leave. Remember, even when Boris was like pounding at the glass, barking at it, it was just curled up on our like front porch step, taking a nap. He's honoring the memory. Yeah, I was like, I feel like I've summoned something here, and I don't know how to get rid of it. Kelly, where are you to save us, please? Please. All right. This uh, mostly takes place in like Maryland, D.C., type area Hmm. but it it spans decades in the early morning hours of january 11th 1985 thomas stewart a 30 year old fry cook finished his late shift at roy rogers and started his regular walk home alone in the cold after the restaurant closed on the sidewalk he spotted a stranger walking in the opposite direction the man spoke as he passed and tom nodded hello back the man looked to be in his 30s and attractive tom liked him immediately hello As the man continued walking northwest on the thoroughfare, he turned and followed him. He wanted to meet him. He tailed the stranger beneath the train overpass and up to a brick row house on Quincy Place. Tom watched the man walk inside the house, presumably to his family. Tom turned to renew his walk home, which was even longer now. Still, he wanted to meet the stranger. 
he found himself walking faster and faster toward home, excited, telling himself he'd see the man at least one more time. Who's the creeper in this story? Oh, man. And this came from Washington City Paper Letters, or Washington City Paper Letters from an Arsonist. So this, a lot of it is correspondence, a reporter to this guy after he's been arrested. Mm -hmm. And Daniel gets to read those parts. All right. Yeah. At home, Tom stripped off his Roy Rogers uniform and threw on casual clothes. He borrowed his sister's car and headed back toward the house on Quincy. There was just one stop to make, at the gas station, where he topped off an empty two-liter soda bottle with gasoline placed into his bag along with a towel. He parked near Quincy Place, got out of the car with his bag. On the front porch, he poured the gasoline beneath the front door, held it there with a towel, and then struck a match. The vapors ignited in the front hallway. Smoke started pouring out beneath the door. I'm doing sound effects too, right? Yeah. So he filled up a two liter of gasoline and didn't put it in the car. He like put the lid, like got it with him. But he didn't put it into the car. No, he put it in a two liter soda bottle. Got it. Soda pop. That sounds good. Bomb, 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 bomb. The vapors ignited in the front hallway and smoke started pouring out beneath the door. Tom then hopped back into his sister's car. On the second floor of the house, a man woke to find his bedroom in flames. On the same floor were his wife, his daughter, and his stepdaughter, and in the basement were his son and stepson. Tom circled the block in his car and came back to the house. On the front porch, the man stood in nothing but his underwear. The man had escaped through a window, but not before suffering asphyxia from smoke as well as first and second and third degree burns over 60% of his body. Ooh. Yeah, burning. Uh, he must have been too panicked to register his injuries. He was screaming that his wife and kids were still inside. Tom fled the scene. It took 85 firefighters more than 45 minutes to get the fire under control. The boys escaped unharmed. The two girls emerged from the back of the house, each badly burned. The mother did not survive, and the medical examiner on the scene determined she died of burns and asphyxia. Mm -hmm. This is why if you light a fire, even if it's an accident and you kill someone, you get automatically charged with first-degree murder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, arson is a class A felony. Or is it second degree? Oh, no, it's a class A felony, just arson to begin with. like... Right. In the official report, an investigator assigned a cause. The fire started as a result of carelessly dropped cigarette in the bedding on the second floor bedroom. Oh, so they wasn't even right. Strange, considering no one in the house smoked. What? They're like, sir, we don't smoke. <laughs> when he saw the fire in the news, Tom learned the name of the man. He just made a widow, a widower. That's right. Yeah. Roy Pickott. He also learned the name of the deceased, Bessie Mae Duncan. Tom was saddened to learn of her death, but in his mind, she was simply the collateral damage he had incurred in service to his fantasies. Will you please read paragraph one? Oh, my God. (laughs) I kept up with all the news reports about my fires and others that they did not know about. I have a diary of fires. A fiery. (laughs) If you will. That's not what it says. No, but a fiery, if you will. Okay. (laughs) That I put away elsewhere for. I knew someday the ATF would ask for it. I still believe in my mind that the Lord God Almighty brought them, the ATF, people to me because it was time for all this to stop. 30 years of fires. It was like, come get me. I'm tired. Jail cannot be worse than the life I had then, and believe it or not, life is pretty much the same. It's just I'm not free to go wherever I want to. Hmm. Wow. Damn. For Tom, different fires grew out of different feelings, many out of the sense of powerlessness, others out of spite, some even out of love. But more than anything else, his decades-long rampage was about 
sexual fantasy. Oh, God. Please read paragraph two. Why did I set the fires when I set them? That's an all-too-familiar question that cannot be understood if you don't know the story. There were different reasons for most of the fires. It could be because of one's feeling the need to have power about something or someone. I don't want you to I don't want you driving that car so the fire becomes a weapon to destroy it. Or in case of some house fires, I might like a particular style of house and wish one day to own it, but it's only a dream. Fire is a tool to destroy some houses also becomes my fantasy spelled P H A N T A S Y. Odd. Of people scrambling to exit windows and sort of feel like they need my help, so I stay and watch. Then I'd masturbate over the fire <laughs> while driving away from the scene. Oh, <laughs> it my gets God. worse, and I didn't want you to read it because of this. <laughs> it gets so much worse. Okay. In 1992, for a few hundred bucks a month, he rented an apartment in a two story brick house in a relatively poor neighborhood. On days off from work, he would read do-it-yourself books. He and his sister sidelined in home renovation. Uh, once Tom moved out, the neighborhood started burning. Vacant building fires, home fires, store fires. He burned the garage that stood behind his apartment. And he burned the neighborhood carry-out, carry which I don't know what that is, and the neighborhood laundromat. What a dick. So when, all the shit around him caught fire and nobody like, figured mm. it out? Okay. Well, because they were always thrown off by the guy sitting at the scene masturbating. Right. It could never well, be Who him. wants to approach that guy? <laughs> when he was on the receiving end of a bad haircut at Kenny and Paul's barbershop, he came back later and torched the place. The barbershop rebounded, but when Tom tri- got tired of the addicts who took up to hanging on the block, he torched it again. <laughs> Yikes. Read paragraph three, please. There were lots of barbershops and carryouts, as well as gas stations. I like barbershops because there were, there were always attractive men there. Crazy it may sound, I had a fascination for barbers. <laughs> Think he ever went a Sweeney Todd for uh, Halloween? Yeah. Thank well, God. Throughout the 80s and 90s, Tom lit scores of fires throughout the eastern side of D.C. After he bought a used Toyota in 2001, Tom started to venture out more. He now had access to all the streets where he worked, as well as the cozy... That's tre- what gives me the confidence to go out and and drive, you know, show off my used Toyota Camry. <laughs> as well as the cozy street line middle class neighborhood of Prince George County, which became a favorite stomping ground. Please read paragraph four. Paragraph four. There was one fire at Southview Drive in Maryland, a whole complex under construction, which damaged net $1 million because of pipeline explosion. That was a huge fire that could have been seen and heard a mile away. It was amazing to watch. This was one of the fires I was never connected to. Each fire was like doing the first time, and I'd always take a deep breath and ask the Lord to forgive me for what I'm about to do. Each one was special in its own way. Oh, goodness. In the spring of 2003... Oh, wait, do you have a comment? Question, concern? No. (laughs) Well, I have a lot of concerns. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. In the spring of 2003, Tom paid a price for his jurisdiction hopping. A couple of fire officials from D.C. and Prince George's County were swapping notes at a promotional exam when they realized that a rash of suspicious fires had been set along their shared border. The fires had a number of features in common. The homes were mostly detached and single family. The fires were set on porches or near doorways, and they were set in the early morning hours. Forensic tests at 
an ATF lab determined that each fire was set with the same kind of device, some sort of plastic jug that had been filled with gasoline and carried to the scene inside a plastic bag. Just before dawn, there was a house fire in a middle-class suburb of Washington, D.C. Firefighters put it out before anyone was hurt, but it was clear it was deliberately set. There was someone in the home at the time. He had to have known it, and he didn't seem to care. The fire originated on the front porch, where investigators found remnants of a melted plastic gallon container and a cloth wick. There was some fabric material that was present, uh, which turned out to be consistent with an athletic sock. This was the second fire in the city in less than a week. Both had been set the same way, with an accelerant inside a plastic one-gallon container. A gas chromatography test of the debris identified the accelerant as gasoline. They were being set in the early morning hours, between the hours of 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. They were occurring at single-family residences, and the origin of the fire was being found either in the front porch or the rear porch of these homes. The cloth wick gave the arsonist plenty of time to get away. None of us had seen that type of device before. We were so used to having Molotov cocktails where they were lighting them, throwing them against the structure. This was one that was actually being placed against the structure, and basically you're lighting it and walking away. Victims appeared to have nothing to do with one another. The D.C.'s arsonist fires were scattered. Their locations suggest that the fire setter liked greenery near the homes, and he preferred low-income working-class neighborhoods. Most of the fires had been set near exits. The arsonists apparently hoped to kill or at least terrify the people inside. Well, fire is terrifying. Yes. Yeah, I mean. To learn more about how these fires unfolded, agents recreated models of the arsonist devices performing stage burns at the lab and out in the field on homes slated for demolition. I've seen controlled burns, like firefighters doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Like They were surprised by what they found. When the wick was lit, a gallon jug filled with gasoline didn't ignite as one might suspect. Gasoline itself doesn't burn. Its vapors do. Which I didn't know that. I didn't either. The narrow opening in the top of the jug allowed only so many vapors to escape at a time. The gasoline itself acted as a coolant, letting the device burn as slowly and steadily as a kerosene lamp. It could be 21 minutes before the jug's plastic melted, allowing the gasoline and its accompanying vapors to spread across the porch. Once it did, the fire would reach the wood or aluminum siding. So it, he has like a getaway time. It's almost like lighting a fuse on dynamite. It's however, running. yeah. Investigators from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, or ATF, found another interesting item in the debris. Remnants of plastic shopping bags revealed how the arsonist carried the containers of gasoline and avoided detection. Investigators urged citizens to be on the lookout for individuals carrying plastic shopping bags in the middle of the night between 2 and 6 a.m. The public needs to know this. They need to know they have a serial arsonist in their neighborhood, just like you need to know there's a rapist working in your neighborhood. But it didn't help. Over the next two weeks, there were four more fires all within a few miles of one another, all set with gasoline inside a plastic gallon container placed on a porch. Investigators asked the surrounding fire departments to compile a list of all suspicious fires over the past year that started 
on the front porch of a home between two and six o'clock in the morning. The results were astonishing. There were 20 additional fires, all set when people were inside the homes. There was a learning curve like anything else, says Scott Fulkerson, an agent with the ATF who served as one of the lead investigators on the case. His fire setting was based on convenience, and when it came to finding a wick, nothing... Well, of course. Why, you know, <laughs> it needs to be somewhat convenient. Because, right. you know, if you feel inconvenienced, it's going to make it more difficult to masturbate while you're watching the fire. <laughs> That's true. Do you think there's, he carried there's lotion? There's my critical analysis. Like, did he carry so. lotion with him then? Like, is that... Is that enough? Is it? <laughs> Never mind. I don't want to know. I don't oh, want to know. God. Well, I mean, you should know. No, I don't want to You've know. done it enough no, times. no. no. Uh, oh, oh, an old-fashioned. <laughs> yeah. And when it came to finding a wick, nothing was more convenient than a swatch from your own clothes. So he would cut up his own damn clothing to light shit on fire. He didn't realize that every time he tied such an item to a jug and ran, the risk of implant implementing his DNA at the crime scene. The fire setter's carelessness gave investigators their first break. At about 3 a.m. on one day in September 2003, three boys who'd been out partying for the night returned to their home on Anacostia Avenue. They saw a strange man sitting on their front porch. After a brief exchange, the man played like he was lost and walked off. So they caught him before he was about to burn their house down. Oh, damn. But they didn't realize that's what they were, you know, caught him doing. They're like, what the fuck are you doing on our porch? He left behind a plastic shopping bag. In it was a gasoline-filled juice jug that had a piece of cloth tied to the handle. Investigators were called to the scene, and in the bottom of the bag, they discovered a single strand of hair. The lab examined the hair and performed a DNA test, determining it probably belonged to a black male. Almost 20 years after working the late shift at Roy Rogers, Tom was still toiling in the fast food business. He worked at KFC, where he'd come on board in 1993. I had KFC for lunch I, yesterday. I know, wow. it made me think of it. <laughs> it, was, it was quite delicious. His job was his life. Tom would devote a rather astonishing 12 years to the same KFC location. Wow. Most of it spent hovering over the grill and grease fires. Yike. Toiling away in the service industry affirmed what he believed since childhood, that he was an oddball, the lone failure in an otherwise successful clan. Ever since his early years, he knew he was wired differently. Please read paragraph five. Paragraph five. As a child growing up, I never did the normal thing. Like learning how to ride a bike, play sports, do boyish things. Instead, I wanted to play house out in the woods, making straw houses. Pretending to be the lady next door and dare my brothers to enter my house without knocking. It was funny. We used to call each other Mrs. Lady. So they're they're setting up breaking and entering like on each other and pretending to be a woman. Interesting. Us that, is, yeah. that, is, that is interesting. Oh. I get aroused just... The thought of big shoes and big pattern leather boots. From childhood all the way up to even now, I always wondered why I like to masturbate over my uncle's shoes. Hmm. Oh my god. Sleep with them in his bed when he's away. My father's shoes too. I would masturbate over his big black shiny shoes. Crazy stuff, right? But no one never found out these obsessions I have. There were a few one-night stands... So to speak, but nothing to hold on to. I don't look to have a romantic relationship as normal human beings would. Love, roses, and red wine sort of things. Mine was more of a choosing the person for, for crazy reasons. Like, oh, he has a nice funky walk. <laughs> Most of these experiences ended violently. It really goes all the way back to childhood. 
Never felt loved by a family. And even now I say I love them, but it's very hard to feel in my heart. Oh, masturbate over your dad's shoes. That's not weird. That's not weird. <laughs> when he sought companionship, he cruised the city's gay underbelly near the Navy Yard clubs. He liked men with athletic builds, though sometimes he would find him a- himself attracted to someone for an inexplicable reason, like the size of his feet, 11 to 12 were his favorite, or an unusual gait. Pigeon toes made him swoon. Well, Please read paragraph well, six. Who doesn't? Hey, wait a second. I'm kind of pigeon toed. I wasn't going to say it, but yeah, you are. <laughs> I don't know how big your shoes are. Is that bad? Should I know that? <sighs> I went cruising up Georgia Avenue and picked up this young guy named Tyrone. We became best of friends until I became obsessed with him, Damn. which drove me to set his house afire. Well, Tyrone was a boxer and very handsome. The night before the fire, I went inside the basement of the place he lived and took all of his clothes and tennis shoes. He wore a size 12 shoe. That was attractive to me, and I would actually go to bed with his shoes on my pillow to smell the odor. Lord help us. It's very interesting. In I feel June, like I'm learning a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Immersion therapy. Mm-hmm. In June 2003, a raging two-alarm fire on Everett Street claimed the life of 86-year-old Luedna Jones. Investigators had hoped the blaze was accidental. When forensic tests proved their arsonist had been behind it, they found the fire deeply troubling. 86-year-old Lou Edna Jones was unable to get out of her home and died of smoke inhalation. She had five children, 15 grandchildren, and 20 great-grandchildren. All were traumatized by this senseless act of violence. I have been so heartbroken. I will never be the same again. Since the, and I mean the way she left here. A senseless death because someone wanted their kids to sit back and watch a fire. How cold-hearted could you be? This is a first-degree murder. We knew that not only had he killed one person that we knew of in the past, was it going to happen again? They had already linked another fire from the same night set about two and a half miles away near RFK Stadium just 50 minutes before the one on Everett's, which meant their arsonist had no problem lighting doubles, as they called a pair of fires set one after the other. So, like, you're needing more and more. So they were aware that, like... Oh, yeah. They're someone like, was setting these fires. But it's like, how do you know who? Because at the time, 2003, not everyone had, like... Yes. You know, everyone has security cameras or whatever mm-hmm. around their house now, but back then, they might not have had that. Read paragraph seven, please. Paragraph seven. It's hard to think for about three years or more that she's been dead, and I often pray for forgiveness and ask God to help the victim's families cope with their struggles. I didn't know her grandson personally, but saw him get the mail out of the mailbox on the front porch, and he was tall and has a muscular build, and I wanted to meet him, so I would live out my fantasy, again spelled with a PH. Through fire watching him jump out the window for help and come running to me, I raced home to watch the news and was saddened about the fatality, but was fascinated by this huge fire. Wow, I'll always remember this house. As I sat there with my finger in my butt. <laughs> Quit it. <laughs> oh. Oh. No, no time for improv? <laughs> well, I guess you could if you wanted to. Okay. No, so he would see a guy and be like, oh, you're attractive, but you walked into your house. Instead of me knocking on the door and being like, I like you, can I have your number? He was like, I'm going to set it on fire. And when you climb out of the windows, pretend like you would come running to me even though you never do. Well, that's one way to do it. Mm. 
We started to figure we needed to go way back, says ATF agent Tom Daly. They visited Firehouse in the arsonist's favorite neighborhood and poured over old run books, dissecting logs that included a handwritten entry for every fire a truck has been called to. They looked for any suspicious-looking fire set on porches. Even more disheartening, catching the arsonist in the act seemed nearly impossible. Up to 55 agents were working the case at a given time. Uh, Tom found a thrill in walking among the agents who were hunting him, his ego satisfied knowing he was always a step ahead. Please read paragraph 8. Paragraph 8. I liked the attention from setting fires. The blue plus red lights flashing from the fire trucks plus police cars. The rushing of firefighters hooking up the hose to put out the flames and people gathered to watch. They were an arm's length to arrest me. Ooh. <laughs> there were different theories on his travels. Some investigators believe he changed his game because he knew that he, they'd gotten close to him. In fact, there was a psychological element to the expansion. Over time, fire setting, like sex, can grow old and boring. Tom started branching out into new counties simply because he was getting bored. Just like uh-huh. the same old places. I got to spice it up. Uh-huh. He started <laughs> <laughs> After two fires... In November 2003, he set another just days before Christmas at a home in New Carrollton. That's lovely. Yep. That's just lovely. A nearby hotel gave them a tape that dumbfounded them. In the footage, a fire truck races to the burning home, facing the other way, with someone in a stopped car flashing his lights on at the oncoming engine. So, like, flicking your brights at someone. Mm-hmm. Why would somebody do that? Fulkerson remembers asking himself, agents did everything they could to enhance the video, even sending it off to NASA, but the license plate and the make of the car was hopelessly grainy. So again, back in 2003. Then on Valentine's Day 2004, he lit one of his devices on the stairwell of an apartment building in Montgomery County, where investigators had never followed him. Because the fire started between the first and second floors, it blocked residents on upper floors from coming down the stairs. A woman and her two daughters were forced to sprint through the flames to escape. This guy is fucked up. Yeah. And then he's like, oh, but I'm really sorry about that. I didn't mean for anyone to die. The fire never fully destroyed its starting device. A shopping bag, a gallon jug, and a swatch from a pair of black slacks. These items went to the Montgomery County Crime Lab. Even though the cloth from the slacks had been burned and charred, the technician was able to extract a trace amount of DNA. In most of the fires set by the Washington, D.C. arsonist, the incendiary device went up in flames. But in one case, a piece of the wick, which was a cloth sock, survived. On a hunch, scientists swabbed the cloth with sterile water, put the swab in a vial, and added a digest buffer that eliminates everything except human cells. Miraculously, the sock contained skin cells, and they provided a DNA profile, presumably of the arsonist. To have such good DNA results for an arson case is pretty remarkable. When you think about the quality of the evidence in terms of how, how burned or um, how, how much heat it may have been subjected to, it's excellent to be able to obtain results. Unfortunately, the DNA profile did not match any in the database of known criminal offenders. <laughs> That's impressive. It gives you a great feeling for 24 hours, Daly says. But then the next day, it's like, what's his name? I have no idea. So all they have is DNA, but no one, I guess they, if they run it through the system, no one came up. He had dinner. Dinner. 
dinner. And it came up with dinner. <laughs> what they had was DNA, not a suspect. Without a name, they had nothing but theories. Some entertained the idea that the arsonist was affiliated with law enforcement, firefighting, or the military. And in the strangest way, he was. If Tom could have been anything other than a fry cook, he would have been a Marine. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's a big jump up. Well, if I wasn't in logistics, I would be the Queen of England. So, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hail the Queen. <laughs> he once tried to enlist in the Navy in 1976 when he was 21 years old. He passed the aptitude test but failed the physical. He never forgot the rejection. That's how I felt. Yep. Versus being queen. They're like, no. They didn't, I didn't pass the physical. They said, oh. <laughs> they said these are far too big and would knock over far too many things. <laughs> too many vodka sodas over here. So keep your titties away. <laughs> oh. <sighs> he thought duty and courage were beautiful things. And nothing embodied those traits so crisply as a military uniform. The sight of a young black man in marine dress blue sent him into a fits of lust. Carla. <laughs> we're, in, we're definitely going to get complaints now. Uh, <laughs> this happened often. The greater D.C. area offered plenty of bases and barracks for military fetishists to visit when he needed to. A military fetishist? Mm-hmm. He would drive out of the city to military recruiting stations. Sometimes he would film them from his car and later masturbate to the videos. At home, he dressed as a Marine and puttered around the apartment, playing the role for no audience but himself. Dress up at home and not. He was never, he never wore the uniform outside. That's how you outside. perfect your craft, Danielle. Uh, that's yep. true. Mm -hmm. His fantasies accompanied all kinds of civil servants who wore uniforms, police officers, firefighters, even bus drivers. He reported false fires on his block just to bring the engines out. He sometimes lingered at the scenes of fires he'd set himself, capturing footage with his camera. He became addicted to his homemade pornography. Uh-huh. Anything can be addicting, apparently. Apparently. Please read paragraph He nine. was calling on fires that weren't real? Yeah, just to bring all the engines out. Oh, like, my gosh. I can't handle this. I burned police cruisers parked at the station and some that were at the residence. To me, they seemed to have power because of their badge and gun, and I felt powerful through fire when they lost their vehicles. Some of the burned cars would remain at the spot for many days. I'd drive back that night and just stare and smell the smoke. I must have masturbated a hundred times a day. Know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to... That was my side note. That wasn't actually on the writing. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's all I wanted to do was make tapes and come home and watch them. Now, the other thing, though, is if someone had an older cop car, all he really did was screw the insurance company because the police officer got all brand new equipment. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. He was aroused by the snug blue uniforms and the caps of the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. So just regular people now. Uh, the, the Transit Authority. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, Okay. He would hang around the city bus depots and watch the drivers as they started their routes. Many of the drivers parked their personal cars across the street in the parking lot outside a liquor store. He would set his devices beneath their car's undercarriage and light them. The sexier the car, the better the fantasy. The guy's a dick. Please read paragraph 10. It was a 2004 Mustang, white, 5.0, that had been on the list of cars to burn for a long time. That morning, it parked right beside me, and the operator looked at me, shut his door, and walked away, not knowing 
That's the last time he'd drive that pretty sort of hot rod, like ride. I must have waited 20 minutes for the lot to fill up with other cars so that no one would come back to mess up the plan. His car was destroyed along another sexy car parked beside it, as well as the top of the wall of the liquor store. Damn. Damn. Investigators knew from the bags left behind at the fire scenes that the arsonist shopped at convenience stores. The company supplied their black bags to just two shops in the D.C. area. They were Circle 7 convenience stores. I almost said Circle K. Do we have Circle 7? We have Circle K. Yeah. With the cooperation of the owner of the two Circle 7 stores, agents affixed thumbnail-sized stainless steel chips to the bottom of every single bag in both stores. I don't know how you do that. I don't don't know. So they, okay, and what did that do? Hold on. Each chip was marked accordingly to an alphanumeric code going in order through the stack. If one of the bags were to be involved in a fire, the chip would survive. And because agents went to the store daily to track which bags had been used, they would be able to go to the video to see which customer had purchased the bag from the fire. So they're putting little metal tags in every single goddamn plastic bag in two convenience stores. And then if one of the metal tabs survives being set on a porch and in the fire... Then they know when to go back and look at the tape and see who bought that bag right? or used the bag and took it with him. On December 5th, 2004, a strange clue turned up a block from the scene of a house fire, a Marine Corps cap and dress pants. The lab determined that the DNA from the pants matched the DNA found on the other fire scene. So that hair they found and now some military uniform pieces that are just out of fire. So he's probably rubbing one off into them. That's what I would assume. As the black bags were put into circulation, investigators discovered something else. An arson dog detected gasoline on a pair of military dress pants discarded across the street from one of the fires. They were the type worn by the Marines. Scientists swabbed the waistband and discovered human skin cells. The DNA profile of these skin cells matched the hair found on the incendiary device and the skin cells from the burned wick. Fire investigators contacted the Naval Criminal Investigation Service about the pair of marine pans found across the street from one of the arson fires. Investigators started to think their arsonist was a jarhead. Agents from the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, NCIS, couldn't offer them DNA profiles of current Marines, but they did have a couple of leads on old barracks-related car fires. A car captured on video leaving the scene of a fire had been traced back to a man who lived right around the corner from the Circle 7 store. His name was Thomas Anthony Sweat. Sweat. Sweat was his last name. Okay. Ironically. Investigators started surveillance on Mr. Sweat. He appeared to be an average working schlub, A loyal KFC employee with only minor brushes with the law, and yet something seemed off about him, his meticulousness. As Faulkner stalked him out of the KFC one day, he watched from his unmarked car as Tom walked outside the restaurant, got down on his knees, and started scraping stale gum from the cracks in the sidewalk. Man, she's got nothing better to do. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. The next day, Faulkner told Tom he was looking for help in a serial arsonist case. So he just walked into KFC and was like, can you help me? He wanted to know if Tom had seen anything. Finally, he asked him point blank, did you set the fires? Tom answered, 
Why would I set those beautiful homes on fire when I'm trying to become a homeowner myself? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that doesn't really exclude you. Fulkerson asked Tom to submit a DNA test, and he agreed. When Tom got home, he destroyed his fiery, his diarrhea fires. (laughs) The swab of saliva went off to the lab, and days later, the crime tech had her results. She called Fulkerson and gave him what he had been waiting for for nearly two years, a name. It's Thomas Sweat, she said. He was arrested the morning of April 27, 2005, as as he left a regional meeting for KFC employees. He maintained his innocence for about an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) I love this guy. Before breaking down and admitting to the fires. As a stipulation of any plea agreement that might be offered, the government insisted the investigators be able to interview Tom about his motives. They wanted to seize the rare opportunity to profile the mind of an extraordinary fire setter. At times, he choked up and cried. He admitted to killing not only Luedna Jones, but another elderly woman named Annie Brown, 89, who died of smoke inhalation in February of 2002. Tom hadn't been considered as a suspect in that fire until investigators discovered a news clip about the blaze in his apartment. One of Tom's only requests was to meet Blackwell, the task force spokesperson who had addressed him through the media. So he liked, you know, you have, they're doing press reports and you have one person who usually does the press reports and they're usually in their uniforms when they're giving these statements. So he would pleasure himself to this guy in particular who was reading his like updates on the arson investigation and he's in his uniform with his badge on so he wanted to meet the guy he'd been rubbing one out to no (laughs) he told blackwell he was sorry for all the headaches blackwell told him it's okay the whole thing was over now tom signed a secret plea guilty plea within two weeks of his arrest He asked for and received a promise of confidentiality in exchange for his guilty plea. About the only thing that came out in court was that Sweat said he heard voices and that he set fires to relieve stress. If the demons in your head told you to set a fire, if you were so stressed out that you had to set a fire, why didn't you set your own mother's house on fire? So see, that's why you can't say this man was insane. He had very good sense. He had sense enough not to get caught. Thomas Sweat was sentenced to two consecutive life terms without parole, plus another 135 years in prison, all because of that rarest of forensic clues, DNA that survived the heat of a fire. There aren't many cases that are in history of this magnitude and and the investigative techniques that were used, the task force concept, how well it worked. I mean, it it really is a model that you're not going to see in any other area. With his help, investigators closed over 353 fires. He's probably the most prolific wow. arsonist ever. And that was all he could remember, stretching back into the 80s. After sentencing, Tom Sweat was quickly sent to the United States Penitentiary of Terre Haute, Indiana. Okay. The Fibby. You set things on fire. The Fibby comes for you. The famously rough prison where Timothy McVeigh was put to death. Barring a transfer, he will spend the rest of his life there. And I forgot to check if he's actually still there. <laughs> okay, but like, did they cha- like charge him on every single count? I don't know how many he pleaded to, but 
enough he'll never i i don't know if it was like 200 might have been two life sentences and then another 200 years after that, that something would make sense. yeah how many people did he end up actually killing it, well the de- okay there was two old women another old woman the widow the widow eventually died too mm-hmm. the one where they said it was a cigarette from the house that no one smoked i don't know at least four people probably more wow but um oh read paragraph 12 you're gonna finish this out my sister in Ohio sent pictures of her house I never seen. And her yard is beautiful. She has real grass that looks like carpet and flowers are real pretty. Her neighborhood reminds me of the Birchwood community in Oxon Hill, Maryland. My mind started to think of evil things to do in that neighborhood. That's so sad. Those demons are still in me. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Wow. I found that to be interesting. I mean, it's sad, and Mm -hmm. I think it was fucked up that he set the apartment on fire knowing people couldn't get out. Yeah, it's like, I didn't mean to start the fire. I just wanted to watch things burn. Oh, wait, no, I meant to start the fire. No, I mean, I meant to, but, like, I didn't mean to. (laughs) I didn't want anybody to get hurt. Oh, darn. And then even, I think at one point he even says, well, it brings me comfort knowing that God forgives me. And it's like, what? What? When did he say that? I don't know, but it's like I feel like you're taking big liberties with this. Like, yeah. So wow. I, I'm sure he doesn't feel guilty, really. And he's like, my family doesn't really love me. It's like funny, weird, and weird that you would think that <laughs> that had to be con- Mr. Oh. Sweat, Mr. Sweat, sweaty. I listened to Dumb and Busted, and this is like their fifth episode, and when they were newer, and I was on the tractor, so it was in the summer, and I was like cracking up. Um, so if you want to listen to Dumb and Busted, their name is Dumb and Busted. Uh, they only do, theirs is like, um, they do a genius and a s- idiot section. So like oh. a smart criminal and then a really dumb criminal. So they didn't. So Which one is this? I think it's a smart one because he got away with it for so yeah. long. So, but since they're doing half and half, the story on her side is let, like I covered more stuff, like having Daniel read all of that shit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was real into shoes and fires and masturbating even church all at the same time amen <laughs> all at the same time shoes fires masturbation isn't that our next saying then shoes fire picking on my hobbies <laughs> um so yeah he even when church members would come over he'd wait for them to like go outside and smoke a cigarette and like hide in the bushes and jack off to like their patent leather shoes or like his he goes those shoes were orange i, w- I wonder if he still has those shoes it's like, what are you talking about? Like, sir, like a shoe. Yes, I understand that like people buy shoes that fit their style. But mm-hmm. like you can get shoes anywhere. Mm-hmm. And people become sexual, sexually aroused by bizarre things. They, I'm not they saying. Do. I'm just I, and I'm saying like, it's not like shoes are hard to come by. No, I think it's part of who's wearing them. Got to be 11 or 12. I mean, that has to be wit- part of it. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, the shoes, you can just go to any store and buy shoes, really. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be. He has to know who was in them, like his own dad. That's so creepy. That man. is so creepy. So wrong. Maybe he had a foot fetish. I think so. And foot fetish, there's nothing wrong with your foot fetish. As long as you have a consenting partner, it's fine. Feet. I'm not a foot fetish person, but it's fine if you are. Yeah. It's not okay. <laughs> If you steal the person's shoes and do things to them without their consent. Yeah. It was like voyeurism. That's a fetish. But that's not a consenting partner unless it like they are and they don't know that you're watching them. No. 
Go ahead. You've never stuck your willy inside of a of a size eleven and pretended it was just a woman with a big vagina. What the stinky shoe smelling vagina? Yeah. Oh my God. Why fungus. else is it so wide? Fungus among us. <laughs> insane one of the most prolific arsonists to date i think and it is a federal crime so they will put you in Terre Haute. i should double check and see if he's still there yeah i think that there's a forensic files episode on something very similar but it's not i know it's not the same case because it happened in california okay less fetishes but it reminded me of that mm-hmm. do they grade arsonists on number of fatalities or number of fires i think I fires. fires okay yeah because he had like over 350 fires that connected to him that's it's so, so many it's so much time like an effort put into fires. nobody ever caught on that he was just going to the gas station and filling up a fucking two liter with gas all the time all the time okay yeah just ten always. fucking four yep he here comes tommy with his two liter soda bottle looking for gas <laughs> Wonder what he's doing with all of it. He's hoarding it for the price and gas spiking. So he's Honestly, saving it. you could you could have said that. Mm-hmm. I would have believed you. I would yeah. have like, oh, okay, yeah. inflation of gas prices. Yeah. yeah. Back then, it was probably fifty cents a gallon. Less than that, maybe. Has it ever been that cheap? I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Can't relate. <laughs> yeah. What? I mean, not in two thousand three. No, but he was doing this all the way back in the eighties. So you're yeah. right. It would look suspicious going to the same gas station all the time with your goddamn two liter filling it up with gas and waddling off like like that's not a normal thing I'm, what is it? i'm burning tires in my backyard it'd be different if you put it in like a fucking gas can mm-hmm. yeah maybe they just assume he couldn't afford a gas can that's, nope, that's okay true. that's okay. true All it right. is a poor neighborhood he picked poor neighborhoods yeah working class working some were poor well that's rude mm. they were just out here trying to make it happen make it happen Captain. So, yeah, I would have felt real bad for the family, though, that was like, no one smokes, though. And they're like, yeah, but it's your own fault that your parents are dead. You're like, okay, then. Okay. I got to go now. Him writing letters to this reporter might have closed some more cases or brought, like, Mm -hmm. brought more information forward. But then you never know. Are you lying for more attention, claiming more fires? I feel like like this individual wouldn't do that. I wouldn't be smart enough to think like that. Yeah. Like, you'd have to think of fires and be able to research them. Oh, no. I think, yeah, he wanted to get caught, though. There, He's like, man, this is going on way too long. <laughs> and he couldn't stop. Yeah, it's no different than my life outside, except I can't go places. <laughs> okay. And everyone, and there's men. Different. You know, he probably is in hog heaven, all the there's men. No metal sh- there's no leather shoes. No leather oh. shoes. Well, the guards might wear them. Well, the prosecutors be. when they yeah. come in. <laughs> the, so his attorney is arguing it's not his fault. He shouldn't have pled guilty, or he's not guilty because of you know mental illness. Because his compulsion, his obsession, it's not your fault. Okay. I feel like he knew what he was doing. Yeah. But he couldn't <laughs> stop, so it's not his fault, man. Okay. Sorry there, Tommy boy. I doubt he will get out. Yeah. And that's about all I have. Well, that was very interesting. It's bizarre. Arson is a bizarre thing. That is, if, It is strange. I mean, there's another one I've thought about covering... It does involve the death of a child, but it's the thought that arson investigators think they're so smart and that they have fire science figured out to a T, and then you end up putting people away in prison saying there was an accelerant used because the glass cracked a certain way. And it's like, no, it's because it was cold outside and like the perfect So are you like giving all of it away No, no, I don't know specifically this case, but I know it's a woman who is found guilty of intentionally setting the 
house on fire with her four-year-old in it. And I was like, it's happened a while ago and she might have gotten out. Anyways, but that's a big thing is people getting sentenced to death for arson that is solely based on arson investigators and their science later in life proves to be wrong because it's old science. And they're like, no, grass, uh, glass just cracks when it gets hot. It's not, you know, from gasoline. So, yeah, it's scary. Science can put you in prison. And then they can say, hey, that science is junk science. We got new science and you don't have to be in prison. But it'll take you 20 years to get out. Okay, you can find oh us on Instagram. Oh, my science. Oh, my science. <laughs> okay, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Who's Your Homicide. We have a Facebook page and we're on all the sites. You can listen to podcasts. Yep, yep. And we have a website. Who's your homicide? Oh, we do? Yeah, yeah, we do. And I have a blog there. And that's where there's more pictures there and stuff. Uh-huh. And we can find our Patreon through that. Daniel and I have one to record. When? I don't know. We need to. After we do the dirty. That's our that's You gotta our light routine. a fire. Light a fire first. We Keep light a fire. On. Keep your shoes on. <laughs> Danielle rubs one out. Oh, God. Yeah, all them Onto shoes. My you, shoes. Have, you have more shoes than I do. Yeah, you do. And for honest to goodness, <laughs> stay out of the corn. <laughs> and my closet. <laughs> Away from my shoes. The sexy leather shoes.